It's safe to say that few living scientists and maybe no living astronomers are as decorated as Dr. Martin Rees. In addition to being the master of Trinity College, Cambridge, he's been president of the Royal Society of the United Kingdom, which is described as a fellowship of many of the world's most eminent scientists and is also considered the oldest scientific academy in continuous existence. Uh, Dr. Martin Rees has more honorary degrees than you could shake a stick at, and we're fortunate to be able to speak with him here on the Tech Emergence podcast. We bridge the gap from here in Silicon Valley to there in Cambridge, UK, uh, to ask Dr. Reese about why he considers artificial intelligence to be among the existential risks that we as a global society should consider. In addition to some of his thoughts around how we might regulate technologies like AI and biotech that require a lot less conspicuous equipment than making an atomic bomb, but could nonetheless be rather dangerous for society, potentially. So in this episode, again, we delve into those two topics as well as some of his thoughts on robots in space. Certainly an interesting conversation. We're happy to have him on the show. I hope you like this one. So Dr. Reese, I wanted to, to ask first um, how you had made the jump from astronomy, which some might argue is what you're best known for, where a lot of your work has been honed in to this domain of existential risk and all the factors therein. What, what got you interested there and drew you there? Well, it was a gradual transition. As you say, I did my early work in astronomy and space, um, and uh, I've been a professor of astronomy at Cambridge for much of my career. But I gradually sort of broadened up my interests. In fact, in the 1980s, I was very involved in uh, campaigns against nuclear weapons. That was the time of the Star Wars missile defense and things yes, like yes, that. Yes. I got involved and I used to attend the Pugwash conferences and other things like that and wrote articles about how we could uh, move towards uh, zero nuclear weapons. So that was the first general topic I became involved in. But thereafter, I gradually became concerned about other ways in which uh, science was perhaps running away faster than we could control it. And in fact, in the last 10 years, I've been more fully engaged because uh, I became president of the Royal Society, which is the UK counterpart of your National Academy of Sciences. Yep, yep. And of course, that organization has responsibility for uh, uh, overseeing the whole of science yep. and engaging with the public and politicians on its implications. So that, of course, meant it became almost my job yes. to uh, think about these issues. And it was great to have something that was my job and also as a way I wanted to move anyway. And that's how I became interested in uh, uh, these uh, extreme uh, risks, um, environmental, bio, and AI. Got it. Yeah, and, and it sounds as though, yeah, when, when you put on those boots, um, it, as you had mentioned, it is almost a requirement. Now you have to broaden out your perspective well beyond astronomy and, and also have to think about a lot of social implications. I know in some of your talks, you've mentioned other concerned scientists like Joseph Rothblatt and, and other folks who's, um, who've worked away on nuclear and, and other sort of risks in a similar domain. When it comes to AI, um, where where do you see sort of the preliminary risks in that department? I know some folks have longer timescales than others. Some people really are in more of the Kurzweilian camp in terms of a shorter horizon. And, and other folks, it's really a coin toss, but probably sometime in the next, you know, I don't know, 300 years. Um, what do you see as as AI risk in, in, in the relative near term, if there are any at all? Well, I should say that I'm not an expert in this subject, although yeah. I have 
uh, talk to quite a few of the people who are engaged with it, both academics and uh, people in the uh, uh, commercial world, DeepMind, Google, etc. And of course, as you know, uh, there's agreement about the direction of travel, but not so much agreement about the pace of travel. Yes. The uh, Kurzweilians at one extreme, uh, and others like, for instance, uh, uh, Brooks at Harvard, the uh, roboticist, who thinks it's far too early to worry about this, and we should worry uh, simply about natural stupidity, not artificial intelligence, for many decades to come. So he's at the other extreme. Um, I, uh, uh, not being an expert, listen to all of these, and I am impressed by the fact that many of those who are genuine experts do feel that, despite the uncertainties, the field does probably need some sort of guidelines for responsible innovation, because it's clear you could see that some of the directions of travel could lead to dangerous trends, and there's no harm in uh, uh, early on trying to have some guidelines to make sure that we try and uh, uh, avoid the downsides which have been written about in uh, Nick Bostrom's book and similar places, and ensure that uh, uh, we develop more rapidly the more benign sides and uh, take precautions against the emergence of the uh, uh, machines that get out of control and take us over, as it were. <laughs> yes, as, as it were. Um, and uh, and I, I would certainly like to think about or, or speak with you about your ideas on, on regulation, which we can get into. I know now you're speaking with a lot of folks who are uh, you know, as the head of Royal Society, in, in engaging with a lot of folks who are in this domain of artificial intelligence. In, in terms of, of where the risks could, could arrive from, you know, the, the robots that could you know, take us over, as it were, as you had said, um, it, some, some people see this as an, an explicit, I think it's often a naive perspective, but a, an explicit sort of walking or rolling robots that would go around harming us. Other folks see it as machines that maybe gain the um, responsibility of you know handling our our energy infrastructure or making large uh, policy decisions themselves and being put in charge and then possibly sort of uh, getting out of hand in some potential perspective there um, of of the people that you've talked to who you consider to be most credible and maybe whose ideas have resonated with you what are some of those more far out scenarios where the danger happens most people think Terminator but I know that's not quite the most realistic uh, risk. Well, there's a variety of risks. One, uh, which is a realistic concern, obviously, is that a computer will become so powerful that the controller of it has tremendous advantages in the financial world and in strategy, because after all, we already have the quant hedge funds, which process huge amounts of information and can can probably get ahead of individuals in that way. Um, But... um, it could be that we will have a machine which gives its owner huge power over the whole external world. Yeah. And uh, that's right. And if you could imagine one machine getting ahead of all the others, then that's going to give huge power to the person who controls it. Um, that's, of course, uh, not the same as saying the machine is taking over. It's just that it's giving an individual power. Yeah. But, of course, the other concern is that uh, a machine will not remain in its box, as it were. Yeah. It will... Uh, uh, interact with the external world, um, get involved in networks, involved in um, uh, the electric grid or something like that, or uh, when we have the Internet of Things, yeah. getting involved with the world in other ways. And, uh, of course, the 
science fiction scenario is that the machine has superhuman intelligence and takes over and has a plan. But I think what is more likely is that a machine may uh, simply um, blunder and uh, cause um, mayhem entirely through malfunction or or something like that. Yeah, I think it's uh, there's been a number of folks, specifically in the, the artificial intelligence domain, who've been on our program uh, talking about realistic risks of artificial intelligence. Um, very few of them would consider AI to be a malicious thing in and of itself. But as you had mentioned, it sounds like there's two sort of categories of concern, one being just a machine getting out of hand or having goals that are out of hand, like Nick Bostrom's uh, paperclip, famous paperclip example, anyone who's listening and can Google that, or or um, artificial intelligence being explicitly wielded for malicious purposes or, or for the purpose of uh, attaining and maintaining power. Um, now, these are concerns that to some degree, um, again, you, you had mentioned uh, you've been, you were involved in uh, working towards nuclear nonproliferation, and and these are concerns that have been brought up with nanotechnology. I know you also have concerns in biotechnology, which is also difficult to regulate. Um, how have some of these other fields uh, placed some kind of an effort or or re- grand regulatory effort? Because as as you are already you know more than aware and probably involved in in the bio world, if there's laws against a certain category of technology in one nation that doesn't necessarily imply that someone else wouldn't want to develop such technologies, which makes it sort of a, a, a difficult problem to solve. H- how have we maybe in other technologies gone about trying to solve that? Well, I think it's very difficult. I think the uh, case where this is a more acute issue already is in biotech. Mm. Uh, 40 years ago, there was uh, a famous meeting in Asilomar, California, yep. where the pioneers of molecular biology got together and they decided to have a sort of temporary moratorium and some guidelines on uh, recombinant DNA experiments that were starting then. And just within the last month, there have been uh, uh, conferences in the same spirit to try and uh, discuss the uh, CRISPR techniques and gain-of-function techniques. Uh, And uh, I think this is very appropriate because these can be used in ways that may be dangerous and may be unethical. But what concerns me there, and this is, I think, a model for other uh, technologies, is that even if we have regulations, I don't think they can be enforced because 40 years ago, molecular biology was just done academically in a few places, not in many countries, whereas now uh, biotech is a a sort of hacking game for students and it's done all over the world in China, Korea and everywhere else and there are strong commercial pressures. So in the biotech area what really scares me is that um, enforcing the regulations will be as hopeless as enforcing the drug laws globally or the tax laws globally Mm. and anything that can be done will be done somewhere by someone whether it's ethical or safe or not and I find that very scary and of course uh, uh, in the longer term there may be similar concerns about um, uh, AI uh, but we're not there yet no no Uh, I don't I don't think so and I think but but we we may obviously get to that and of course uh, in the short term we are uh, concerned about cyber attacks and cyber hacking Mm -hmm. uh, which is not uh, not AI, but is uh, a way in which one can uh, exploit the vulnerability of networks because uh, in our everyday world, uh, we are interconnected 
globally, aren't we? And yeah. uh, therefore, especially vulnerable. Yeah, and uh, you know, you used this. Uh, you're, you're talking about a scary scenario, and you used an awful scary term, uh, hopeless. Which, which, uh, darn. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll hope we're not all the way there, but. I think to some degree, you know, I mean, it's it's difficult to argue with what you'd mentioned where, you know, anything that can be done will be done somewhere. You know, on the aggregate, you know, if I'm just talking about the United States. I don't know the scenario in all in all countries, but I think on the aggregate, you know, tax law, there's always going to be people cheating it on, you know, in general, they're getting enough to, you know, keep the cops on the street and whatever else the case may be. We have We haven't collapsed yet, but there's enough little nicks here and there all the time where it's really going to be impossible to regulate it entirely. You know, drug law maybe to some degree is winning, but there's always slips. I suppose the danger here in whether it be biotech or potentially AI when we get there um, is that a little slip wouldn't be permitted. The system wouldn't still work with a little slip um, in, in some of these particular technologies. Well, that's right, because these technologies are so empowering that uh, a small group or even an individual have a global impact. As I like to say, the uh, global village will have its village idiots and they'll have a global range and yeah. uh, even one, maybe too many, uh, given the uh, uh, potential catastrophic downside of some uh, error or some terror which they can uh, perpetrate. So that's what really worries me. But can I, um, before we close, try and be a bit optimistic about something yeah, else? Please, please do. Uh, we still got, we still got yes, some minutes here, so go ahead. This, this really goes back to uh, astronomy because uh, I think the real arena for um, uh, advanced ro robots and uh, intelligent machines is going to be in space. I think the uh, uh, case for human space flight is getting weaker all the time as the machines <laughs> get, get better. Uh, and uh, although people will go um, into space as a sort of sport, uh, sport and uh, uh, just as a uh, an adventure. Yeah. Um, I think uh, we will have within 50 years um, um, probes going all through the solar system. We'll have giant robotic fabricators building huge structures in space. And looking further ahead, uh, we will have uh, um, machines of human intelligence or more, uh, which will be in space. Because, of course, once you've got uh, that sort of inorganic intelligence. It doesn't want to be on a planet. It would rather be in space under zero G. It doesn't want an atmosphere. It doesn't want strong gravity. And so it's space is going to be the arena yeah. for the um, uh, Kurzweilian development of uh, uh, successive generations of ever more intelligent machines. And this has another implication, which is what we should look for if we are doing SETI searches. It suggests to me that if we detect any uh, artificial uh, signal um, in a SETI program, it's most unlikely to be from uh, anything like uh, us or anything organic. It's far more likely to be from some uh, machine um, either sending a signal or malfunctioning. Yeah. And the reason I say that is that if you think of the history of life on Earth, then it's been four billion years to get to us, uh, a few centuries of technological development uh, before we are overtaken by uh, by machines, and then they will have a few more billions of years. Yep. So most unlikely we'd catch another Earth-like planet in the particular sliver of time when organic intelligence dominates. <laughs> yes, yes. That we detect uh, um, in the far more advanced stages when uh, uh, the organic life has been superseded by a whole lot of machines wandering through space. So I think if we detect anything in the SETI searches, that's what it'll be.
and I've, I've, I've heard other people mirror the same thought. Uh, Martin, in, in closing, just to bring us back to the regulation uh, idea in part, um, you had mentioned how you know potentially hopeless it seems to, to enforce regulation globally. If efforts are to be made, and I imagine they will, you know, some people might might have said that nuclear nonproliferation was somewhat hopeless to, to really get us all the way down. I suppose safety cannot be secured in a global context or a local context. If we're going to have to try, you know, you think a lot about bio and, and have done a decent amount of thinking about artificial intelligence. If we're going to have to try, uh, does this necessarily, what does, what would it imply if we were to make as good a swing as we could? Because I imagine efforts still would be made. What can be done globally? You know, what are some thoughts? Well, my concerns are that it is all a good deal more difficult than nuclear because uh, 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 to make uh, an H-bomb uh, requires large special purpose conspicuous facilities, whereas mm -hmm. um, uh, computers are dual use uh, and they can be used for good or ill just as uh, um, medical uh, uh, labs can be. Yeah. And so it's very, very hard. We have uh, technologies widely understood by millions of people and equipment that's accessible to millions of people. And that's going to be true in bio. It's also going to be true in uh, AI. And that's why I think this is uh, uh, very uh, challenging to regulate in any way. But obviously, we should try. We, uh, we shouldn't uh, uh, go from denial to despair. We've got to do the best we can. Yeah. Um, and I think what we can do is ensure that there is a good dialogue between uh, uh, academics, ethicists, and those who are actually pushing the technology forward in the commercial world. And I think it's good news that many of the people who are in the commercial world are sort of sensitized to these and realize that we need responsible innovation, uh, and that requires perhaps pushing ahead faster in some techniques than in others. Uh, just as in medical research, you uh, go for the vaccines uh, before you risk modifying the uh, um, the, 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 the viruses yeah. um, and uh, so I think we've got to uh, consider what's the way to reduce these risks because even though we can't eliminate them uh, we can certainly uh, reduce them and raising consciousness of what these risks are is I think a good start. Yes indeed I think raising consciousness is about as good as we can start with and hopefully from that and from those varied perspectives you had mentioned um, reasonable approaches, legitimate approaches could be unearthed and implemented and we could share a sympathy for all of the human beings on this spaceship Earth that we all have to travel on. So I'll, I'll keep my fingers crossed on that one too. Martin, thank you so much for being here on the Tech Emergence Podcast. Thank you very much. Good to chat with you. That wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives, top researchers, and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in and I'll catch you next week.